I'm, I'm curious to know how many of you are familiar with the artwork of Cindy Sherman. Good, a, a handful of people. And how many of you are already familiar with the work of Martin Scholler? A couple, just a couple, okay, but smaller number. Um, I ask that because it enables me to talk a little bit about the significance of seeing one photographer, in this case Martin Scholler, comment upon the work of another photographer, in this case Cindy Sherman. Um, and for me it's a very, very interesting intersection to observe. Um, Cindy Sherman, as those of you who are already familiar with her work know, is one of the most influential artists of the present day. Um, looking at her photograph, she may seem to be a rather unassuming presence. And in fact, one of the things that really struck me as I was preparing for this talk is the fact that over and over people refer to how nice she is and how sweet and how surprising these qualities seem to be given the extraordinary impact she's had on the field of contemporary art. And interestingly enough, her impact um, has come, as I mentioned earlier, through the realm of self-representation. However, despite that, Cindy Sherman's own features are actually not very well known to many art lovers. And you may wonder what the paradox is. How could it be that somebody known for self-representation self would not herself necessarily be, be instantaneously recognizable? And that is because in um, the days of her youth, Cindy Sherman, as she was exploring her way in the New York art scene back in the 1970s, uh, made her mark with a series of photographs that are known as untitled film stills. And I've just brought a series of them just for you to glance at. And as you'll see, this body of work resembles stills from old movies, generally film noir. And sometimes scholars have tried to identify resonances between these photographs and specific movies, which actually becomes extremely difficult to do because really I think what Sherman is doing is to sort of get at the idea of film, to get at the types of associations we have with women in particular. Um, how, do we stylize, how do we stylize women who are often presented as vulnerable, attractive, mysterious? And she's deliberately played that up in this body of images. And so one of the things that I find so intriguing about the discourse between Martin Scholler and Cindy Sherman is that in a sense we're dealing with two photographers who've taken very different approaches to their careers. Cindy Sherman, who has essentially played with photography not as a way to reveal herself, but rather as a way to suggest the various disguises that we all don, versus somebody like Martin Scholler, who's approximately a decade younger than Cindy Sherman, who has instead focused on the art of bringing his viewers face to face and very close, at, to very close range with his subjects. Cindy Sherman, in this context, is not seen, as I mentioned earlier, in this slightly um, veiled form, but is rather revealed at an extremely large scale, and also in color. 
Color was not an ingredient that she initially introduced into her photographs. That was something that came only in the early 1980s as she was seeking to challenge herself in new ways. Now, Martin and Cindy Sherman actually have something very interesting in common, and that is that neither one of them actually sought to move into the field of photographic portraiture um, or photographic representation early in there as they were emerging onto the scene. Martin actually applied to art school with the encouragement of a good friend as he was sorting out what it was that he wanted to do with his career. And funny enough, the friend who encouraged him to go to art school didn't end up getting into the program, which was highly selective. Martin did, and the rest is history. I think that we would all have a very easy time uh, agreeing that the work around us is photography. In Cindy Sherman's case, that wasn't such an easy equation to make. Cindy Sherman actually began her career in art school wishing to be a painter. And that's an ambition that actually becomes a little bit more apparent later in her career as she moved away from just um, experimenting with makeup and clothing and moved instead to actually start emulating old master images. But as you can say, see, there's a little bit of a grotesque quality about them. There are prosthetics that are involved. There's no, she, she aims to reveal the conceit behind these paintings and to make us aware again of that process of donning makeup, that process of disguise. But she gestures back to her, an old interest in painting. Cindy Sherman actually flunked her first photography class, which is something that I as a non-artist take great pleasure in. And Basically, she wasn't initially skillful with some of the technical demands of the medium. And it turned out that in order to finish her art degree, she had to pass that photography class. And it also turned out that um, at SUNY Buffalo, where she was a student, the State University of New York, she met another young artist, a man by the name of Robert Longo, who may, whose name may be familiar to those of you who are interested in the arts. And Robert Longo, I think, supported Cindy Sherman and helped give her the courage to go back to that photography seminar that she had flunked the preceding semester. Fortunately for her, she ended up with a new instructor. And this instructor um, took, had a slightly different take on the art of photography. Rather than focusing on the technical demands of the medium, her new instructor was more interested in the conceptual possibilities of photography and encouraged Sherman to think broadly about how she could use an interest in dress up, in make believe, and bring that into the realm of photography without allowing its technical demands to derail her thinking about the medium. And one of the figures actually that was a source of inspiration for her and it was an introduction that she had through her friend Robert Longo, was the work of Marcel Duchamp, who many of you know famously disguised himself as the female persona Eros C'est la Vie. Cindy Sherman actually early on did experiment with doing transgender dressing, but she found that she was not able to create a convincing male masquerade. And so in Cindy Sherman's case, it became far more effective to focus on these different 
varieties of female self-representation. Now Sherman, um, despite having these conceptual interests, it's very clear that she was not seeking to pander to art historians or critics. She wasn't trying to create art that was theoretically sophisticated and highbrow. Instead, she was responding to issues that were, I think, intuitively intriguing to her. And I think probably her success came as no greater surprise to anybody than, to, than Cindy Sherman. And in fact, the technical... Um, challenges and difficulties that she ran into as she was printing these photographs, most of which were made in her New York loft, were things that she turned to her advantage so that they would appear to be snapshots, um, that they would give the impression of something rather casual. Now those untitled film stills, um, which amazingly enough are now three decades old, were printed in a rather limited edition. They were only done in um, an edition of 10, and today the only collection to have a complete set of Sherman's untitled film stills is MoMA. And one of the things that I found extremely surprising about them was their very small scale, which again causes them to have quite an interesting contrast with Martin Scholler's work. Now, Scholler while obviously favoring a much larger scale, while obviously having extraordinary technical facility with his uh, photographs, also, again, I mentioned he was a decade, approximately a decade younger than Sherman, also actually applied a conceptual dimension to his photography. And I think that this is actually one of the, the areas where we see Sherman's influence percolating out to new generations. Now, in Scholler's case, that did not translate into dressing his subjects up. In fact, he speaks about the fact that he tries to catch them at an unguarded moment. But one of the things that may strike you as you look around this room is that, in a sense, in direct opposition to Sherman, rather than focusing on the multiplicity of a single individual, he instead is putting many very different people into a strikingly similar format. And that has always been one of his goals as a photographer, is to bring a strictly democratic approach to the practice of photography, so that whether he is photographing an artist, an actor, political candidates, members of a Brazilian tribe, he is exercising the same parameters. And in a sense, seeking perhaps to demonstrate qualities that unify people or at least causing us to ask questions about why certain people may stand out in the crowd. Does it have to do strictly with their appearance, or are there other sorts of environmental signifiers that we count on to help us distinguish the president-elect of the United States, a famous artist, a well-known actor? If we didn't know who these individuals are, they could just as easily be somebody next door, somebody we passed on the street, the girl we remember from college in Buffalo. And so at any rate, um, these very different approaches to applying conceptual uh, ideals to the practice of portraiture is one of the interesting ways in which these artists um, bounce off of one another. Now, another thing that's actually quite interesting and that speaks to the larger um, 
the larger goal behind this particular installation of portraiture now, feature photography, is that Martin Scholler is an artist who has always had one foot in the editorial world and one foot in the world of fine art. And it's interesting for me to think about what is the moment at which an image crosses over from being a document of somebody's life, a document of a story, to become something that we accept as a work of fine art. In the case of this particular photograph, this picture was originally created in the spring of 2000 for an article written by Calvin Tompkins for the New Yorker magazine. And again, for those of you who make a habit of picking up the New Yorker or reading about art, you know well that Calvin Tompkins is um, one of the most important voices of our generation. He has been probably for four decades um, for bringing the lives and ideas of new artists to a broad audience. Martin Scholler's primary, um, well, Martin Scholler's primary editorial responsibility these days is to the New Yorker magazine. His contract with the New Yorker allows him also to publish images in other publications, but he is in fact a New Yorker uh, staff photographer. And so this was an image um, that accompanied an article that was specifically devoted to um, the many lives of Cindy Sherman. So the image itself was in fact designed, I think, to function as a form of unmasking of a woman who had just been identified as one of the most influential artists of the past millennium. And one of the interesting questions to my mind is leaving the pages of the New Yorker, why does this image have lasting significance in terms of the history of art? Why does it become interesting for us to think about this image not just in the context of Calvin Tompkins' profile of Cindy Sherman, but in this larger realm of portraiture, biography, and fine art. And as I've tried to suggest, for me, one of the most um, interesting juxtapositions that the photograph brings out is this discussion, what I see as an implicit discourse between Scholler and Cindy Sherman, um, thinking about what photography can be how narrative can function, and ultimately what the significance of both representation and self-representation can be. And let me just share with you a few more recent images of Cindy, by Cindy Sherman. As you can see, she herself is aware of the process of aging, and her subjects reflect that. Rather than doing these sort of young ingenies, a lot of her recent work is focusing on this process of getting older. In this instance, we see a woman whose tan mark is apparent, makeup under her eyes is appearing. So again, Cindy Sherman, who I mentioned, her, whose friends are always commenting on the fact that she seems to have this nice, unassuming personality, continues to create extremely edgy and provocative work. I think in large part because she is digging very deeply into those aspects of identity that we cherish most closely and forcing us to confront the very things that we often take for granted or overlook. Um, I'd love to hear your reflections on the work and any questions or comments that you may have. Uh-huh. Has Scholler turned the camera on himself? Is there a Martin Scholler self-portrait? That is a superb question. You know, I ha I'm not familiar with any. That's a marvelous question. 
Um, I've never seen one. Um, we do anticipate that Martin Scholler will come to speak while the exhibition is up. That talk has not yet been scheduled, but I'd love, we will make sure that that date is publicized far, far and wide, and I'd invite you to ask him that, that question yourself. Um, another interesting contrast between Scholler and Sherman, actually, is that Scholler is extremely outgoing, very personable. Funny enough, I'm not familiar with any self-portraits. I never thought to ask him that question, which is fabulous. And Sherman, by contrast, I think is much quieter. She's not an introvert, but all of her photographs happen in quiet settings where there are not people around. There's not an external discourse happening. It's very much internalized. So it would be fun to think about how these practices would extend, in Scholler's case, into the act of photographing others or rather photographing himself. And then, again, Sherman has probably made photographs of others, but not within the context of the art world. So that, that's a wonderful question. Thank you for raising it. Yeah. Well, I think uh, in terms of his photos, um, it's interesting there's no context, there's no background. Exactly. Yes, yes. 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 Absolutely. Right, right. Yes. I think that. It's a real, I think that is a superb observation. And Martin Scholler is um, very direct about that, and he's very, very conscious of it. It's funny that you make the observation that the subjects don't have expressions, and I had never thought about that specifically, but I think it, it is an interesting attribute, particularly of the images that he has chosen to put forward in the context of fine art, because while all of these images were produced initially for editorial assignments, not all of these images were published. For example, the image of Barack Obama um, is a variant of the image that appeared in GQ, and the picture that was published did have a big smile on the face. And um, Martin is very, he makes a point of the fact that he is deliberately removing environmental cues. He doesn't do it all together. Um, for example, we see, it's obvious to me that McCain is wearing a suit and that Obama is wearing a suit, and. It's a little less clear what Sherman is, is wearing. Um, but he actually, um, whether or not he succeeds in doing it is the question. And I think he's aware of that um, tension. But he actually, he shoots a number of frames of each of these subjects. And he tries to get them to relax. He learns what their favorite music is. He plays it. He chit-chats with them. Um, and he tries to catch them at a moment where they relax and where they cease to be aware of the presence of the camera. And you know, it's interesting to me about the thing without the expression, because it does seem to me that most of us instinctively put smiles on in front of the camera, and that it may actually be harder to catch somebody at a reflective moment where they move away from that desire to put on the expression that is almost a guarded a way of protecting ourselves. 
so that's that's a wonderful observation, and it's it's very it is very much a conscious decision on his part. I should mention that some of the editorial work of Martin's that is published um, does include action shots. So sometimes the magazine editor. Um, will choose to use a frame that is not a close-up one. Um, there's an image of Lyle Lovett, for example, that went along with a profile of the singer, which shows him wrestling a bull. Now, what's interesting to me is that's not the type of image that Martin has chosen to put into the context of fine art. And that's an image that I think reflects more editorial content rather than this conceptual approach that he's been interested in forwarding with his fine art photographs. Thank you for that. Yes. Yes. And they all have this right. right. Oh, you know, that's interesting. Do you, do you, you know, I'd love to, do you see the photographer in here? I see lights. Uh huh. That's well. You know, that's a really, really interesting observation in terms of the history of photography. I mean, history of portraiture. One of the earliest self-portraits on record is by um, um, Van Eyck, and the image um, it's it's in the Arnolfini um, wedding portrait, and he shows himself as a little figure upside down in a mirror in the back of the room. And I've always thought that that image was sort of photographic in the sense that um, Van Eyck seemed to be trying to show his subjects or his patrons that this was an exact transcription of the scene that he had observed. Wouldn't the camera obscura have done that? Um, I'm not sure that he was using a camera obscura, but yes, theoretically, a camera obscura should do that. With regard to Scholler, I too have been really intrigued by the pupils. I have not seen the photographer's image. What I think I see are the lights that he's projecting, but it, that is a quality that I find in, in all of the eyes. And it does, I find it really, really intriguing that we get that detail of the lights because to me it actually has the effect of um, reminding us of the artificiality of the construct. To me it's a reminder that Scholler there's, that the conceit of these photographs is not necessarily to um, give us the impression that photography has... Now, this is, a, this is sort of an interesting philosophical question. It's important that these are photographs, but oftentimes we think about photographs as having the capacity to do something that no other medium can do, which is to tell us something about the truth and to capture a moment that we might not other see, that we might not otherwise see. And actually, I see that as an interesting similarity of sorts between Sherman and Scholler in that they remind us a little bit of the artificiality of the construct of photography. And I should mention, I, I wanted to say this earlier, that um, when Sherman began to market her untitled film stills, and you can see how they are continuing to influence her more recent work, they actually did not sell to collectors of photography. When her dealer initially tried to pitch them as photographs, they didn't go anywhere. It wasn't until they were taken out of the realm of photography and put into the broader realm of contemporary art that they began to become meaningful. Scholler's photographs, by contrast, I think do reach a more conventional sort of photography audience. 
So it's, it's funny to think about why that may be the case. But I think Scholler is very much aware of the construct that he's using. And um, to my mind, the, the, the pupils reflect that as well. They, yes, the prints, let me, I hope that I'm getting this straight. Um, he shoots on film and uses, di yes, and th then they are translated into digital format. That's exactly right. But he does shoot on film. And actually, Sherman has recently migrated into the realm of using digital photography, too. And this is just an example of one of those works where, again, she's just further playing, driving home the artificiality of what she's doing. We see multiple versions of Sherman interacting with herself. And if people are interested in, in studying these or looking at them more closely, um, her gallery is Metro Pictures. And they do have a, a really, really wonderful selection of images available online. And in fact, there is just a recent show of her work at Metro Pictures. Um, and there's a, a, a wonderful catalog that accompanies it. So, thank you all very much. Thank you. And I hope you.